0: Morning campers, thank you for tuning in to the High Low, hosted by me, Dolly Alderton, and her, Pandora Sykes. We are the pop culture and news podcast that envelops highbrow culture and lowbrow culture with the same all-encompassing warm embrace and a snog. (laughs) I've got a toffee in my mouth so apologies if it sounds a bit congested. Uh, Here at the Hilo we think it's important to never be ashamed to ask a stupid question when you don't know the answer and we think that a keen interest in current affairs is not negated by a passion for watching Jonathan Creek Series 1 on Netflix while eating that chose. Yes, that was a recent Saturday night with my flatmate, So So Me. So um, I'm going to hand over to my esteemed colleague to give you a little history on the high low. I love it when people go, So So Me. Um, do you mean nachos with cheese and sour cream and peppers? Because I think you just mean the tortilla chips, and that's both lame and erroneous. Uh, I actually. Now that you bring my attention to it, I was talking about shrimp tacos, um, but for the purpose of streamlining the intro, I said nachos, but I'd also, while we're on the subject of shrimp tacos, I order them from Chooks, Muswell Hill, and they're the best fucking thing you can order on Deliveroo, and I'm... I won't be able to get that though, because I don't live near... They have loads of different branches. I'm shamelessly asking Chooks now, and I very rarely do this. Please send me some free stuff. Okay, interesting. Anyway, the high-low is based on high-low Media, invented by Tina Brown, the 80s Vanity Fair editor. It sums up my raison d'etre in life. Nothing is too low, nothing is too high. From chin hairs to Trumpian politics, moon cups to Brexit. We discuss it all here on Radio Watford. Oh, Christ. <laughs> you are too obsessed with love, actually, I think. And this one's for all the lovers out there. Right, enough of that, thank you. So, we've had a two-week... Break from our quite last nice episode, episode. Sorry, we love you, but it was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Breaks are always nice. No, it was nice. What were we up to? What well, was you, I were you on holiday? To? You were chilling in Chillington. I can't I believe know. you went somewhere called Chillington. It's so gapy, alright. Is that the main reason you went? Because it no- sounded ridiculous. The nominative determinism. What? When a place is. Oh, what it sounds yeah. like. So, like when a woman is called Mrs. Smelly and she smells. <laughs>
1: Oh my God. As is Chillington.
0: He? We went to to do some chilling. Is it really, is it really chilly? It was very chilly. It was very, as in, we were very chilled out there. It was lovely. Although I had, I went there with my best friend Farley for a few days. I was mainly going there to do some writing. She was prepping for a new job. But there were some frolics on the farm, as you saw on Instagram. <laughs> oh, my God, that duck. I know. Did you see I wrote, I'm so pleased you found I know. Me. It looked so much like you. I've always said Pandora looks like a <gasps> baby duck or chick that's just been hatched and looks a little bit frazzled and bewildered. Um so that was nice although I had a very sad realisation while I was away that I have become a real dickhead Londoner and I never wanted this day to come what because you can't find a good flat white that's my thing um a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Where's the Wi-Fi password, sort of the minute you get in? But it was more when we arrived, there was this it was an Airbnb, it was a really good Airbnb. It was run by a really lovely couple. They've got quite a slow, relaxed pace of life down there. And when we arrived, the man was sort of big into the chit-chat, and it was like and we hadn't unpacked our bags or anything, and he was like what do you do in London? Asking a lot of questions, and then, and then he was like, "Can I show you the map of the area?" And then he took us in and showed us this big map. That happens the in wall. hotels as well, then it always drives me mad. No, I don't want to tour. But I, I was a, bit, a little bit like, I really hated myself for being a bit like, "Oh, shut up! I just want to go, like, unpack my stuff." It's like, what is wrong with just having a nice chit chat about the area with this map? It just made me realise that I'm so on a pace where it's like I don't talk to anyone, I get my stuff done, and I don't really want don't to turn into being, a person like that. I don't think that's being a Londoner. I think there's a thing when you. Travel that you need to just like come and be and get your equilibrium back. Like, the first thing I always do wherever I am is I want to go to my room just for like mm. five minutes and wash my face mm. and go to the loo. I bet if you come back in an hour when you were maybe you know, would having have been a glass be more of wine, relaxed. then you'd have been. More Chillington. I don't know. People who don't live in London, so our solo list in Kazakhstan Botswana. and Botswana. <laughs> Let us know if you think this is just Dolly or if you sometimes don't want a or tour if of just uh, a Chillington. Thing. Um, um, so you've been travelling as well. Yes, well, I wasn't meant to be. I was meant to be just in uh, Essex at my parents' house, hitting loads of deadlines. My mum was absolutely gutted because I ended up going on a last-minute work trip to New York, which was great, but bloody exhausting. Norwegian air is an absolute it was very travesty. It was very glam, I think, for you to just be in New York for... Well, I went, two there for, hours. I went there for work. I was there for two days. I went there for work. I was, I was sent out there to do an interview and then I had meetings. But because I was going so last minute, I did go with Norwegian Air because they're the only airline that don't Shittiest charge. Shittiest airline ever. Absolute. Pits, like seriously, I can see why it's so cheap. So no tellies, which is obviously incredibly dull Ugh, on an 8-hour flight. to New York on Norwegian. I hate is, it. Is that a thing or is that just an old plane? Because I had someone muttering that it's just an old plane and that's why they were no I think tellies. it's an old plane because like, I've been on Norwegian and they do sometimes have screens. TVs. but But um, they also, I told you about the incident with the blanket in 2013. Or whatever oh, I can't remember. Was, tell me, I had a blanket incident. Where I went on the plane and I hadn't brought a jumper on with me. And it was so cold on the plane. So I asked them for a blanket. They said that they charged, it was $30 for a blanket, for like an acrylic blanket. So I wasn't even offered that. So I took the red eye back and I didn't realise that everyone else around me did because they voluntarily booked a very cheap flight. So they realised, whereas, you know, I was there for work so I had no idea about Mm. this, but... All you want to do is sleep. Not only do they do incredibly antisocial stuff, like keep the lights on the whole time, mm, yeah, turn they did the that in fucking mine. lights on yeah. as soon as you get on the plane, stop serving food. If people request food, fine. Rattling around four hours into the flight, one hour they turn the lights off. But not only that, you don't get blankets, eye masks, socks, anything like that. I was absolutely freezing. I asked them four mm. times to turn down the aircon. Everyone around us asked them to turn down the aircon. Guy next to me ended up lending me his puffer jacket and I zipped myself completely up inside it like a sleeping bag. Aww. I don't know if his girlfriend thought it was weird or not, but at the end I was like, thank you, you've saved my life. They are I only per- slept for an hour and a half. And they are particularly I, shit. I, don't, I literally don't remember Friday. I had to come into town for a meeting and I walked the whole way there and about, I floated. The main question I want to know is, did you have Butcher's Daughter pastrami sandwiches? So I went to Butcher's Daughter, which I love. I've been there before. Did I tell you about Butcher's Daughter? Yeah, you yeah. recommended me. And then so I went when I went to New York, I had like every meal there. I, I loved it. But breakfast is not so good, actually. Oh, really? I had avocado on toast, but it's avocado on bread. It's got to be toast. Oh, it's and also, be toast. their pastrami comes in sausage version, which is... Ooh, well, not when good. It, it's a bit much. When it's little pieces, you can mm, fool yourself into mm. thinking. So Butcher's Daughter, for all of you out there, is... Um, a vegan restaurant, I think. Yes, it's been vegetarian, vegan, so the cheese isn't even cheese. But it tastes like cheese. It tastes like cheese, and the pastrami is very, very good. But I had it in sausage form, and it wasn't as good as when it's in bacon form. But I do, I do love it there. It's, it's gorgeous. And I was sitting next to a Victoria's Secret supermodel. No And way. my friend Lara, who's a bit like you with popular culture, when we were leaving, I was like, "Do you know who was sitting next to him?" She goes, "I thought I recognised that old man," <laughs> and I was like, "No." It's Romy Strigler, the Victoria's Secret angel, sitting next to us. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so that was New York. So what else has been happening over here? So it's been a big old fortnight for news in our The High Lows absence. Yeah, there was a lot that I kept on thinking, oh, that's good for The High Lows. I suppose two weeks is a long time to accumulate stories from high and low. So starting with The Small. Can I, can I just pause very quickly because I'm going to take my jumper off. I'm in uh, workout gear right now, which is quite uncharacteristic. Okay, it's fine. I can have a toffee. This sports bra's killing me. I'll show you it later. It's always quite hot in here. What a contraption it is. Oh my God. Your t-shirt's fucking (laughs) hilarious. Your t-shirt is like those t-shirts that they always put on those American websites and it's like, love, peace, kale. I know. Dolly is wearing a (laughs) t-shirt that says alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, I'm going for a run after this. Did you buy that? And I like to make a point. Did you buy it? I bought you... it when I was like 18 and a dick and it wasn't what, meant to be... What, because those are the be, things you love? Yeah, it wasn't meant to be ironic and now I wear it when I'm it working out. It wasn't meant out. to be ironic? No, it wasn't meant to be ironic. Well, I was, I was a dickhead like, Pandora, I told you this. Why does it say like blowjob at the bottom? Well, <laughs> one's actions can speak anyway, louder than words. say um busy few weeks for news. Who says stuff like that? I mean, the news is just the news. How can I say it's been a busy week for news? So starting with something low... The High Low's Twitter has been a buzz this week with low things from me, like Botox for buttholes, apparently a thing. What does it do? Does it clench well, the muscle? Well, imagine that Botox, you know how Botox gets rid of wrinkles, and the anus is a very wrinkly thing. Oh, little it that is. That is but true. Imagine, you know, they can't smooth out the anus wrinkles. They can prevent more from from accumulating. God, you can bleach it, you can wax it, you can Botox it. What's left of it by the end? Just a scared <laughs> little prune. <laughs> doesn't want to ever come out again after all of that, although it shouldn't ever be out technically anyway. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, also exciting news for millennials, at least, Tamagotchis are back. This takes me right down memory lane. Mashable has reported that the Japanese toymaker Bandai have re-released first editions of their electronic pocket pet. It's only available in Japan, but thank God for the internet because you can actually buy one from Amazon Japan for approximately £13. Anyway, such news takes me instantly back to the playground where my Tamagotchi, or Gotchi for short, was alternately pooing, crying or threatening to die. They were so passive aggressive, actually just aggressive. Yeah, they were quite neurotic as well. Always threatening to die. And I really remember being eight years old and completely tyrannised by the monkey bars as my Tamagotchi withered and crumpled. Um, Not unlike when my Furby used to keep me up all night. Did you ever have a Tamagotchi or a Furby or a Pog? I had like 400 Pogs. They were really democratic. Everyone could afford a Pog. I had Pogs. I had two Furbies. I had a big Furby and two. a baby Furby. Yeah, I was obsessed. What? But they were so expensive. I only got one because I went to F.O. Schwartz I think I asked for one for my birthday and one for Christmas. Um, a I was menagerie a- of Furbies. I ha- I would have had a menagerie of virtual pets. I had loads of Tamagotchis. I had hundreds of Beanie Babies, me and my brother. I was a kid growing up in the suburbs who was desperate to be like the Waltons. Material things? No. He was desperate to like grow up in the no, countryside. No, I love material things. So I just wanted to be like around animals all the time and obviously we couldn't do that in our house in Stanmore <laughs> so I just had loads and loads of uh, virtual animals. I had like a hundred Beanie Babies. Actually, correction, I have a hundred Beanie Babies because my mum told me that one day the special bears, if we kept their tag protectors on, she's obviously read something, that they were going to be worth loads of money on eBay and it's a goddamn sham that I've believed for 20 years. I've still got all these Beanie Babies. Not worth anything now? Periodically I look it up so I looked up recently how much <laughs> Halo was worth and Halo was... it's Halo what? the unicorn? No, Halo's the bear with the halo. The oh one. yeah, of course. I've got loads of variations of it. And I looked it up and he was only on sale on eBay for $1.39. Well, actually, to be accurate, he was also on sale for $150, but none of them were selling. Have you ever seen that photo of a couple separating their beanie baby collection in 1999 when they get on the floor of a divorce court? <laughs> it's so good. We're going to tweet that. Dolly's going to find it and we're going to tweet that. Yeah, it's brilliant. Was it your parents? No, <laughs> I've got like a hundred of them. I'm going to keep hold of them for my children because I don't know what the fuck do else to do you know what I them. used to do with mine, which is particularly losery? Is I used to buy the plastic display cases for all of them. Yes, I think I had one. God, I was I was completely governed by what America did. Hence the fact I had tag protectors. Yeah, I had tag protectors. Yeah. Wow, we were. I really think that we were the age where kind of that Americanization, those American toys, were just huge for us. Because I remember also going to my friend Chavon's house to watch um, Nickelodeon. Oh yeah, that sister, the t- sister. Hardly world. anyone had Sky. We didn't get Sky until I was about 15. Only one girl, only Siobhan had Sky. And I used to go and I used to watch um, whatever the Olsen twins were called. It, Two of a kind. Yeah, I mean, all those programmes were, oh my God, Me and amazing. my flatmate regularly reminisce on those programmes that now we were just take them for, with. Take them for all, all I did from for the, the years of 99 to 2004 is just watch Nickelodeon. That's all I did. And play your Beanie Babies. Play my Beanie Babies, eat ready meals and watch Nickelodeon. Ready meals as well. Oh my God, I remember my mum used to make me pizza when I used to watch Home and Away. Fucking hell, being age 10 was like amazing if you were me or you and really oh. spoiled you couldn't pay me to go back there. Right well, Anyway. I was quite lonely I just read a lot of Ina Blyton but oh awful. Really? I hated being a teenager yeah. 10 Dolly? No but that whole period of just sitting in front of Nickelodeon I love Nickelodeon the way that I was aged eating. 10 with Beanie Babies watching Nickelodeon and Dolly's like God being 17 was <laughs> dreadful. God being 19 was rough. Anyway back to the Tamagotchis I tweeted well the Low tweeted it's so useful having an um, autonomous um, Twitter handle and then I retweeted it for double exposure that I'd be happy to nurture a Tamagotchi for a week to see a 30 year Old Pandora is any better at keeping one alive than eight year old Pandora. Great bit of journalism, I thought that would be. It doesn't bode well for parenthood if I'm no better at keeping it alive than when I was eight, but you know, if anyone's keen, good bit of journalism. I think that definitely could get commissioned. Get me some free shrimp tacos. Get Pandora a commission about Tamagotchi. I'd like both. Uh, My friend Sabrina thinks that the modern adult version of Tamagotchi's is talking to a man you haven't met. From a dating app for weeks on end, especially if it goes into sexting, when you have to kind of keep going back every day, kind of messaging five times a day, it's a bit no, like keeping gonna, it alive. No, because the man's not going to die, whereas the tamagotchi had a, you know, you were its only reason for living, and I'm hoping that. Well, not, for many men, that's I was going to say, I'm own, hoping, I am their only reason. For I'm living. hoping that not every man your friend Sabrina's talking to. <laughs> also, this week, fellow members of girl gangs will be appalled and shocked and saddened as I am to read that. Apparently, period sinking is not a thing. Girl gangs. Anyway, carry on. As in big groups of all-female friends. Do yours wear T-shirts that say alcohol, caffeine and nicotine? No, just me. It's, it's the best T-shirt I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> the Guardian reports that a giant study of women's... A giant study! I know, I've copy and pasted that from the piece, that's so bizarre. A giant study, I love that, it's so scientific. Which I know. A humongous research project. A giant study of women's periods carried out by <laughs> period tracking app Clue in partnership with the University of Oxford has found it's very unlikely that cycle syncing is a real phenomenon. Researchers surveyed 1,500 women, then narrowed their group into 360 pairs of women. They analysed three consecutive cycles in each pair and found the majority of women... Yeah, but I think that where they've gone wrong there is that you can't the whole point of sinking is it's not just like any old woman that you find on the street. It has any to old be old bint. It has, has to be your period pal. It has to be someone that you're physically and emotionally close with. If you just put me with a woman in Primark now for three months, our periods I couldn't sink. That <laughs> Is it from Primark? Oh my God, you're being such a bitch about the T-shirt. Can you just get everything out that you need to say about it and then we can move on? No, I haven't thought of it all now. It will keep coming back to me. Um, This is quite funny because I remember I was at a boarding school and we were really obsessed with that because obviously if you're going to sink, you're probably going to sink at boarding school because you're all eating the same thing, canteen food. Whereas presumably now when you say you sink with your flatmates... I don't believe that because you can't all be eating exactly the same thing, and if you are, that sounds really. No, virgin but it's nothing suicide. to do with eating. Yes, it is. It's exactly the same living conditions. It's how many variables. But that's so weird because. But uh, she went, mummy me saying it. Me and Sophie Wilkinson are synced as well, and we have entirely different. We live in different flats, different parts of London, and have entirely different. Yeah, but Dolly, I've told you this before. It's just a probability that your period will overlap with someone else's. No, because why am why am I synced with Farley as well? Farley and I aren't in the same flat. I've always been synced with my flatmates. What every single month, exactly the same time. You within her. about two days. Yeah. Well, listen. This giant study <laughs> disagrees with you. <laughs> I've always really liked this kind of magical, powerful mysticism of sinking, particularly when periods are so fucking grim. Mm, I think we'll have to... Sorry, I'm still eating sweets. I'm on my seventh and last sweet, though. You still are living that Nickelodeon life, by the way. The big few stories are broken. Um, firstly, Edward Ennethel has been announced as new editor-in-chief of British Vogue. So that might not seem like a big deal to anyone outside of the fashion industry or the media industry. Actually, it is. So Alexandra Schulman left after a quarter century of editing Vogue and all eyes were on who would be next. There was a lot of talk of who it was going to, was going to be. Lots of names thrown up. The appointment of Edward, who prior to this was the fashion and creative director at W Magazine, hugely powerful magazine States. Side note, he became fashion director of ID aged 18. Oh, I hate those stories. 18! I mean, well done, but... Anyway, it's (laughs) meaningful not only because Edward is a man, obviously, and men never helm women's glossies, but secondly, he is black. So a black man being at the helm of British Vogue is not unlike... A black man being in the White House. Hello, Obama. But on a micro scale. So within the fashion industry, which obviously there's a lot of criticism rightfully dealt its way, I really hope that this will be a massive step for progression, for diversity. The European press is actually far worse than the US when it comes to diversity. When I was in New York, I bought $90 worth of magazines. Magazines are fucking expensive out there by the way. Anyway Mm. like the New Yorker's Mm $8.50 so I bought $90 of magazines over about four different days, I didn't do the hit in one and I really noticed the difference in um, the skin colours of not just the models but who they featured as well so Allure for example, big magazine in the States, had three black models on its cover at the same time and aside from Vogue Italia's all black issue in I think 2008 which funnily enough Edward was behind I can't think of a time when I've seen this in Europe so I think it will be a really seismic shift for popular culture. I didn't know who he was before this, but as you say, it is... It seems like a historic choice and everything I've read, it sounds like he is the perfect man for the job. Although I must say, I am disappointed the title of uh, British Vogue editor didn't fall on George Osborne (laughs) or another random member of the Tory government, as many probably predicted. (laughs) Would have been less surprising to see you as the editor of Vogue, Dolly, than some of the appointments that's happened (laughs) this year. Um, Also, we can't not mention the Pepsi advert. I was trying to see how long ago. I know. I refuse to let you avoid that storm. Pepsi last week unveiled their new global advert, starring Kendall Jenner, for which they probably paid her like fifteen million pounds. How much do you think they actually would have paid her? I was going to ask you that with your knowledge of kind of TV and rights and stuff. I would have thought multiple millions. I don't know what. Do you I mean? think it would have been very lucrative because famously pepsi ads are when you think mm. back to even when the spice girls did it mm. i think it's always been a slight trope that if you do a pepsi ad it means you've really hit the big time you've really kind of sold yeah. out well i wouldn't say sold out but i agree with hit the big time it's well you capitalized as... at the peak it's, of because it's a household name it's those few yeah. brands like coca-cola pepsi i remember i was interviewing someone recently and i asked them what their dream brand to collaborate with and they said, mcdonald's everyone's heard of mcdonald's oh you know you feel like you would really broken popular culture I mean, Cindy Crawford did one in 1992, which is just... Did you get my message saying what's Cindy Crawford I haven't seen it yet. She's so hot, though. She's one of my favourite models, Cindy Crawford. She's phenomenal. So it's a huge deal. So anyway, massive brand alignment with Kendall. Ella spent loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of money on it. But essentially, there's a riot and everyone's really bummed out until Kendall takes off her blonde wig and changes out of a sparkly dress. No idea. Apparently, you must always take off your blonde hair to address a riot. And she gives the policeman a Pepsi and... Peace and love and unity are restored. The best and I, I must say most good humour tweet in response to it came from Bernice King who's the youngest child of Martin Luther King who wrote... If only Daddy had known about the power of Pepsi. (laughs) Ha ha! That's amazing! It's really funny. And then following that, she wrote on the subject quite seriously in the Huffington Post and stated that the advert contributed to the notion that there is a fairy tale light way to ease conflicts that have existed in this nation for hundreds of years. So I don't always agree with the idea that all of those things always trivialise conflict because otherwise no movie, essentially. Like, very few movies would ever get made. But the main problem with this, obviously, is not I don't I don't think necessarily the kind of fairy tale aspect of it because I think that just exists in most adverts and films. But I think it's the appropriation and the commodification of the race riots. Um, Pepsi have said that on no account did they mean this to be the case. Obviously, it does look like sort of tokenism. You've got one woman wearing a headscarf mm-hmm. and you've got Kendall being the kind of white power ranger to come in and make everything better but they said they wanted to take a generic riot kind of generic unrest and show that politics can be solved by love and unity unfortunately and of Pepsi you and of Pepsi unfortunately you just have to think outside those parameters now you have to think exactly about who you're putting on screen mm-hmm. and why you're putting on screen and what that's going to convey Yeah, I mean, even if I did believe their intentions were noble and honest, which I don't, I do think it's as well like a bit late in the day to be making a statement like this. I think the timing of it shows they have been entirely exploitative in their homogenisation and commercialisation of a very, very serious thing to sell a fucking fizzy drink. There's been some really interesting op-eds on it. Um, The New York magazine's The Cut ran an interesting piece where they spoke to all these ad execs being like, how did this happen? How did this Pepsi advert actually get made? How did it get signed off by however many people and what is interesting is that there was no outside agency it was only pepsi's agency they didn't bring in any outside presence and so a lot of the ad execs have said you know the moment someone from a different agency came in they would have noticed this mm. because you bring this fresh yeah, perspective how could you not so that's yeah. perhaps why it got so escalated to this mm. point because they weren't consulting with people outside of pepsi that's a the other interesting thing that i read was a staff writer at Man Repeller uh, called Hayley, who just writes really, really interesting op-eds, she got trounced for a piece she wrote and she very duly replied to the comments saying, "Um, I'm listening and I'm learning and, you know, thank you. And she kind of did a parody of it by saying that Kendall had to take off her blonde wig and that it was all about kind of fetishising pretty women and the misogyny of it. Um, But she obviously got a lot of abuse because she didn't mention race, um, which was a main factor. She also assumed, though, which I think was interesting, which I would have done, that most of the people at the agency were male. Interestingly, most of the people at Pepsi's ad agency are women. The first thing you would think to is, oh, it must be like an old white man. But actually, I would be interested to see how many white people were there. I wouldn't assume it it was either a female or a male team that would be behind that. From one sketchy image to another brilliant one, which is Safiya Khan smiling up at a furious member of the EDL, which is obviously an image that went viral over, I think it was Sunday or Monday. It's a truly inspiring photo. And as Pandora tweeted yesterday, it proves that Instagram can be so much more than just photos of lattes and peonies guilty as charged I think I wrote cappuccinos but I didn't have enough letters fucked with (laughs) 140 characters Um, so the photo shows an EDL protester Ian Crossland staring into the eyes of the young woman who's looking back at him with her hands in her pockets and she's looking, she's smiling and she's looking at him unfazed and a police officer appears to be restraining him. The woman pictured has been identified as Safiya Khan who's from Birmingham. Her family has links to Bosnia and Pakistan. She said the picture was taken when she stepped in to defend a woman wearing a hijab who had been surrounded by a group of the protesters after she called them racists. The MP Jess Phillips tweeted the photo and said Who looks like they have power here, the real Brummie on the left or the EDL who migrated for the day to our city and failed to assimilate? Her tweet had been shared and liked nearly 18,000 times by Sunday evening. So it's a hugely inspiring photo, not only for the young woman's bravery, but also I think it shows the power of calm and peace when faced with such irrational, disgusting, mad hatred. As Jess Phillips said... All that photo does is show very clearly who the same party is, and there are lots of other details of how Birmingham rallied together. Because Birmingham is a wonderfully diverse and multicultural city, and there are lots of lovely details on how they made a stand against the EDL protest. The Birmingham Central Mosque held a best of British party, complete with Union Jack bunting, tea, a local MP. Liam Burns said that the event that was in the mosque celebrated the quiet miracle of a normal life and the things that we love most about our city and our country. So Suzanne Moore, um, a garden journalist, wrote a piece on the power of the image. So she wrote... Khan's small act of resistance becomes larger, so welcome, so cheering, and so monumentally cool. Rosa Parks said, You must never be fearful about what you're doing when it is right. This is the joy of Khan's fearlessness. Hands in her pockets, deeply unbothered by angry, ranting men. Her smile has spread far and wide because it is an image of undeniable strength and power. Glorious. It's also just really nice to see um a woman just completely unfazed by disruption. I think, mm. you know, all too easily, we. Erupt in the face of adversity, and I like that she's. Or recoil, indeed. Or recoil, and I like that she's, yeah, doing neither. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So on to books. The Hilo have been busy reading over the last couple of weeks and we've got some very good um, book recommendations for you. So Dolly very kindly bought me the journalist Ariel Levy's book, The Rules Do Not Apply. And I read it last week. So she's a staff writer at the New Yorker magazine whose work I very much enjoy and makes me wish every day that I could be a long-form journalist. Again, can you commission me for that before the Tamagotchi piece? Because I don't know if I could do a long-form piece (laughs) on Tamagotchi's. Um, So Ariel wrote about the stillbirth of her baby and the breakdown of her marriage with her wife. Farley actually read it when we were away in Devon she read it in about two sittings because I've been recommending it so much. God two long sittings. Yeah Um, I found it a deeply moving read as I've said before I thought it covered what it means to kind of have it all as a woman in a very frank very fresh way. It's actually something I found in um, Dorno Porter's new book they're very very different reads but hers is a really um, brave and interesting and innovative look at all the different pulls on women and the different Mm -hmm. ways of um uh, making a woman feel shamed. But yeah, on Ariel's book, um, it had a lot of pick-up, she's a very well-known writer. So Hadley Freeman, a brilliant writer who's a friend of hers, did a great piece on it, as did the New York Times. I enjoyed the book, although I did find the prose a little sparse. I, I think I prefer her long-form stories in terms of writing, but in terms of how affecting it is, this book is, is off the charts. It's one of the bravest and most affecting things I've read, which is perhaps the mark of a really successful book, rather than, say lyrical prose I don't know I'm always interested in the process of writing and what makes a great book is sometimes it's not that the writing is the best thing you've ever read it's the it's the the weight of the pages and I don't mean the like literal weight of the page I'm surprised I really loved the prose and I think she painted really beautiful scenes and pictures with her prose although I suppose it was quite clipped in parts and both you and I are suckers for big flowery tarty Prose, elaborate prose. Yeah, I did feel it was quite sparse, but, you know, that's a personal, that's a style choice. Um, But either way, I do disagree wholesale with the entirely mad piece in The New Republic, which I think is a US website. Yeah, I hadn't come across it before. Anyway, a piece by Charlotte Shane, which basically said, I think the title was shut up and get over your white privilege something something like yeah. that it had white privilege in the title and it, the, the thrust of the piece was so you had a dead baby get over it everyone like has dead babies sometimes and by the way shut up because you're white um, and I understand about checking your white privilege but this was essentially a call for silence which seemed a redundant and the fact that it's fucking woman that wrote that piece, it's excellent to see a woman telling another woman to be silenced in the face mm. of her own, her own experience, isn't it? Yeah, I found that a really hard pill to swallow, that piece, because, as you say, privilege, what it does and what it doesn't entitle you to do or say is a very complex thing that I'm constantly trying to re-examine and assess. But so, so I keep returning... To this line in Transparent on the topic of privilege where a character says your pain and your privilege are two very different things. I think that does apply here. I think Ariel Levy experiencing the death of a premature birth is a human experience entirely separate from whatever privilege she's born with or has accumulated. And I don't think that she's hooking that experience onto a wider political thing. I think she's just telling a very painful story in a very vulnerable and beautiful way. And actually that article, Panda, does play into your theory that you have that women perpetuate the worst crimes on each other. Yeah, well, not necessarily the worst, obviously, Um, but the micro-issues that sort of seep into your everyday and and quite damaging rhetoric. Yes. I mean, I was watching Made in Chelsea last night. It was quite funny watching it. My husband was like, they're all being so defeatist this episode. I was like, oh dear, don't worry too much. Um, But I was watching Made in Chelsea last night and there was one girl who was heartbroken because her boyfriend... They'd broken up and you fancied someone else. And this other girl goes to her, don't worry, you're so much prettier than her. And another person was like, yeah, you're so much prettier. And I thought, it's that kind of redundant thinking. It's that, I used to do it, everyone used to do it in the playground. You know, if you liked someone and they fancied someone else, or there was a girl that wasn't very nice, and everyone would go, don't worry, you're much prettier than her. It's, it's that assessment of women's looks, which, yes, I do feel is much more perpetuated by women on women. So one woman telling another woman that she's a big fat sissy for complaining about the breakdown of her marriage and the loss of her baby... You know, that's like 48 steps back for feminism. And I was actually listening... to a podcast this morning one of the brilliant guilty feminist podcasts and there was a woman saying that her friends like to call themselves womanists instead of feminists as feminism doesn't include enough female positivity and i can't say i agree with that term um it reminds me of humanists as well though each to their own whatever you want to call yourself um but i do think the fact that women are searching for other terms rather than feminism suggests that women are having a hard time not criticizing the female experience of Mm. others Friend of the high-low, Daisy Buchanan has a book out this week called How to Be a Grown-Up, which Panda and I were lucky enough to read advanced copies of and I enjoyed so much. I'm proudly quoted on the back saying how brilliant it is. I'm not, but that's fine. Don't worry about it, Daisy. (laughs) Um, It's very funny, deeply personal very bold book which is part memoir part sort of handbook uh basically so about to say handbag <laughs> part handbag it's multi-purpose. it has got a beautiful cover but the words inside are even better um and it's kind of exploring how to be happier, healthier, calmer, better adult. But, you know, you can read it at any age. I found it very, very useful. At the age of 28, I would have loved to have read it when I was younger as well. I think my mum would love it as well. Um, it covers how to be sad, how to be healthy in body and mind, how to have sex. It covers really big stuff, and then it covers more kind of trivial stuff like how to wash your hair, which I found very useful. Um, and it's a mixture of personal anecdotes from Daisy's life as well as take-home tips and advice and stories from other people her age. Is that your stomach? That was my stomach, yeah. You should have eaten Two, three, one of your many maowams. God, i seven sweets always doing the studio. Well done, Daisy. We look forward to toasting you at your book launch tomorrow. Um, I'd also like to talk about another book that I read this weekend that's really, really stuck with me. I read it in about four hours flat. I took it to Hampstead Heath on the the gloriously hot Sunday we had when I was recovering from a wedding hangover Um, and then I finished it in bed yesterday and I felt so winded and bereft afterwards I kind of just sat on the edge of my bed, not quite knowing what to do with myself. It's called The Wild Other by Clover Stroud and it's a memoir on grief, wildness, family, sex, freedom, kind of the darkness within us us the narrative that pulls it through is about a very very tragic riding accident that happens to her mother when she's 16 and she kind of loses her mother in one sense and then she she doesn't lose her mother in another sense so she can't kind of mourn it um and yeah it's very raw very honest very poignant very human quite sexy actually and I loved it I think I can't remember the last time that I cried as much into the pages of a book I think I was a teenager but anyway go buy it. it's brilliant I'm actually also currently reading, I'm multiple dating when it comes to books, Um, I'm currently reading a book called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, or Why I'm Not Talking to White People About Race Anymore. Sorry, I can't remember which way that goes around Um, and then it's by Rennie Edo Lodge who I became aware of recently she wrote a great piece for British Vogue online about how all the furore over Emma Watson was sort of like she had some cleavage out on like a magazine cover she was wearing something Burberry and she had some cleavage out like Vanity Fair or something she got quite a lot of shit and Rennie was saying she only got shit because it's actually very much to do with race like people think that Emma Watson's this kind of white virginal person so when she gets her chest out it's like oh my god whereas She's the example of like Nicki Minaj where it's sort of like expected and there's never that dichotomy because they're never the angel to fall in the first place. Anyway, it's a brilliant piece. So I'm reading this book. Um, it's a very unapologetic title. It's not out yet. It's a proof copy. Sure to generate criticism. It's an interesting read thus far. I will keep you posted. Um, and I've also been obsessed with Big Little Lies as well. Like I think most telly watching individuals right now. I haven't managed to watch it yet. I have tried every single avenue, and I cannot it's watch don't it. Because you have Sky, do you? No. So how much can I give away on this? Um, well, I think I think just say spoiler alert, and then you're covered. Well, Skip forward 15 <laughs> seconds. Sort of spoiler alert. Well, there are some. So essentially, um, okay, I won't. You know, I won't give give away anything. But what I will say is that there are some really brilliant pieces that have been written on it. I think it's very much captured people's attention. Reese Witherspoon produced it, and she has said, and and the guy that wrote Ally McBeal wrote it. And she has said that she was used to being billed at the top of a film in order to get financing. You know, so everyone would be like, oh, we've got Reese Witherspoon attached to this, it would get money. And she was never amongst women of her caliber. They were always split up on different films. And she wanted to bring together all these really strong, powerful women in Hollywood together um, to show that, you know, they can do this thing together. So it was kind of quite a feminist project. It's so cleverly and brilliantly done and it really encapsulated my belief that popular culture absolutely does not mean that it is crappy any much as it insinuates that something academic should have to be highfalutin. There was Eva Wiseman wrote something for The Observer magazine on Sunday and she essentially said how trashy TV can actually be really powerful. And I agree with the powerful bit but I disagree with the fact that it's trashy. It's not trashy at all. It's so clever. And Emily Nussbaum Nausbaum I don't know how to pronounce her name but she is a TV critic for the New Yorker and I love her writing. I read everything even if I haven't read even if I haven't watched the T V programme. She wrote a great piece called The Surprising Generosity of Big Little Lies he would be very interested, Dolly, as someone who's also has worked in telly before about the kind of character arcs, and um, and she had lots of interesting thoughts on it. Anyway, I've read the book without realising. I forgot I'd read the book, and then I bought it again, and I was reading it, and I was like, I've definitely read this. It's actually set in Australia, but the series is set up the west coast of America. Anyway, I didn't love the book, but I love the series, and I think you will really enjoy it, Dolly. I know, I've just got to wait. I think I'm going to have to wait until I can buy it on DVD. So Dolly will watch it in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> On to Barry Manilow. Last week, the much-loved American singer Barry Manilow came out as gay at the grand old age of 73. He's famous for hits such as Mandy and Copacabana. For our Generation Z and Generation Y listeners, of which we anticipate there may be a few, if you don't know who he is, we're going to jog your memory with this little soup song. Who could have Guardian reported that he said publicly that he was gay after keeping his sexuality secret for decades for fear of disappointing his fans. The music veteran also confirmed that he's been in a relationship with a man for 39 years. it's quite a long time to keep it know. secret. It's the first time he's spoken openly about his sexuality. Barry Manilow married Gary Keefe at their home in Palm Springs in 2014 but never publicly confirmed the news. He told People magazine, I'm so private, I always have been. He went on to say that he met Gary a TV executive, in 1978. I knew that was it. I was one of the lucky ones. I was pretty lonely before that. The question is, do celebrities owe it to us to be transparent about the sexuality? Should Barry Manilow have come out earlier than he did? What do you make of this, Pandora? It's the um, tussle between us, I think, the public, thinking that we own the celebrity body because their celebrity is built on our literal sport, and the obvious kind of mental issue that if you distill yourself too much to millions of people, you don't know what's left of yourself. So private self versus public self. Sexuality is a really difficult one because it's not always cut and dried. Um... Uh, but there is an interesting piece on the Daily Beast titled Why Did It Take Barry Manilow So Long to Come Out? And unlike a lot of online articles, there's a good amount of facts and research in there. So they've noted that according to the latest Gallup numbers, only 1.4% of people born between 1913 and 1945 identify as LGBT. That's interesting. So... Um, for millennials it's 7.3% so you know that's a massive rise from 1.4% to 7.3% what those numbers reveal is that you know younger people are more comfortable than their older counterparts with the idea of sharing what some might consider private information on surveys so it's not that they're saying oh there's way more gay people now it's that yeah. they they just wouldn't have entered they wouldn't have entered that information into the public conscious so tellingly you know Barry Manley said I'm so private I always have been differences in social climate are another possible contributor. Um, So Gallup also said it's likely that millennials are the first generation in the US to grow up in an environment where social acceptance of the LGBT community is marked. If you came of age in the 1950s, by contrast, you wouldn't feel so confident about coming out. I mean, I think it's so much easier for millennials in many aspects. coming out I imagine to be one of them I obviously haven't had that experience so I I can't say either way but Kristen Stewart did an interview recently and she was like I'm so gay and roared with laughter the way they wrote it was really lovely it was great to see her this comfortable mm. as obviously she had a shit time of media scrutiny when she dated Robert Patterson and then got sort of busted having an affair with Rupert Sanders but I do wonder if that's a, quite a new thing being able to be like you know we yeah, would not, I, I would not have expected mean. that necessarily from Kristen Stewart I'm glad that she could do that on one hand i think the man is totally entitled to his privacy and you know he should feel free to be with whoever he wants and for his love life for not not be a political statement um, and i also understand as well that it is about selling records particularly if you're if you're singing love songs and the majority of people are heterosexual therefore maybe the notion is that you should cater to that market. And, you know, that was the whole thing with George Michael. While everyone around him knew that he was close to him, knew that he was gay, no one, none of his fans knew. And if you talk to any woman who was a big fan of his as a teenager growing up in the 80s, it was genuine heartbreak when he came out because you kind of invest into the fantasy of of him singing those songs to you. And I get it as well. I had the same thing with Will Young and I stopped buying... Will Young records the minute he came out because for me that fantasy was shattered. Obviously as you get older I'm not a total dick and I now love listening to good music no matter who wrote it or who it was intended for. Love is love, desire is desire. It's a universal thing but I do understand that slightly more cynical uh, thought process for selling records. Yeah, I think it's easier for singers because of that slight... You know, a lot of stage presences a very kind of camp theatrical experience but certainly... You know, we both know of a lot of actors that are rumoured to be gay who Mm. will never, ever come out, I doubt. I doubt it will ever emerge in their lifetime. And I think it's deeply sad, but it is, I'm sure, the result of the fact that Hollywood is very, very conservative in some Ways And if you think, well, those films go out all over the globe, the Bible belts, it's just not an accepted thing to have a gay A-list actor. If you try to name some, you can't. You can't, yeah. Mm. I mean, as you know, I consistently feel empathy for celebrities. I weep sometimes when they get divorced. (laughs) But, you know, celebrities aren't snowflakes. They aren't made up one woman or one man. There's a roaring PR machine back there and as you know journalists you hear of a lot that's gone on sort of beneath the surface that you know no one would ever print but certain celebrities are not who you think you are and I do kind of think now that there is this massive drive on authenticity and it's become incredibly important to find truth in a post-truth world and I do think that celebrities should think a little bit more about who they are and what they're putting out because they are so influential and I think we are in a different time now than when there was just that completely mysterious enigmatic celebrity the amount as well that they're all sort of earning to be in these positions i think um
1: i think as fans you should demand a
0: certain truth yes yeah and i think another but you know this is i'm not bloody i'm not in that position am i (laughs) well that's it but that's it because it's another i'm in two minds about it because another part of me thinks i'm speaking from a place of immense privilege because i don't really care if a singer publicly comes out as gay or not because my people i heterosexual women are represented everywhere. Heterosexual love stories everywhere in songs, in films, in stories in fairy tales. Mm. I don't need to see my story represented anywhere to support me or inspire me or make me feel less alone. So you think it's good actually for their fans to see that? uh, Yeah, yeah. I do. I can understand why the gay community might take offence or feel sad or disappointed in celebrities not using their platform to be honest about their sexuality because what the implication therefore is that their sexuality is something to be ashamed of. Well, celebrities often say, you know, I didn't ask to be a role model but unfortunately when you get to a certain amount of famosity not sure that's a word and you've got a certain amount of millions in the bank unfortunately you are you know I Mm. found it actually agonising to see how much shit Taylor Swift got for not explaining why she didn't go to the women's marches but also perhaps her fans were right perhaps she did owe them a tweet as someone who has very much harnessed the power of feminism and girl power and her squad some like you say for commodification purposes (laughs) you know if you borrow from those tenets then you you sort of have to give back but um, I know that we were talking earlier about how um, some people you were saying that got a bit annoyed with Jessie J, who who sort of reneged on her gayness. Font a better word, and said yeah, so she a... came out as bisexual and then sort of took it back and said it was a phase. Yeah, and I think actually she shouldn't be in trouble for that because I mean at least to give her due, she was honest. Sexuality is fluid, so she was being honest about her experience at any given time. And I don't think you can, I do not even tell someone off for changing their mind. You know, she never lied, and life is after all made up of phases. You can be many different people. You personally can be many different people and you can love many different people in one lifetime. Not that I've been particularly different between my phases. I'm boringly consistent. (laughs) But I don't like the idea that you shouldn't ever discuss anything in the public forum unless you're 100% sure because it leaves no room for error and a lot of pressure, I think, on young celebrities and, apart from anything else, young women. I completely agree. I think the more cynical commentators were saying that, it was very handy for her that she could take... Oh, they think it was a tool? Well, I think they felt like, because she's kind of quite highly sexualised, that maybe if she took the bisexuality back, then maybe she'd be more appealing to both heterosexual male audience and also she'd be less alienating for young, straight teenage girls. So that was what more cynical people were saying, that it seems like she took back what was an authentic coming out because she wanted to sell more records. That's what cynics said. Interesting. Anyway, on to the emails. Do tweet us if you've got any thoughts, by the way, about anything we've discussed today. As ever, it's been a mixed bag. So our first email we have is actually in reference to another email that we read out a couple of weeks ago. The email's from a girl called Penny. She says, Hello, thank you for your lovely podcast. I wanted to point the 23-year-old Never Been Kissed Australian. Oh my friends. god, yes, they really stayed with us, those gals. Yeah, from last week's podcast in the direction of Rachel Hills's new book and upcoming play, The Sex Myth. As per the following lifted directly from the website, it's not them, it's societal norms. For years, Rachel harboured feelings of difference and effect when she considered the contrast between her own sex life and the ones portrayed in the glossy magazine she wrote for. When she realised that she was not alone in feeling this way. Rachel began her work on the sex myth, setting out to understand why sex was a matter of profound anxiety for so many people and where those feelings came from. So she's also done a TED talk. So Penny's just oh, giving really those girls some advice, and that's I'll lovely. Watch that. Thanks I'm, very I mean, much, I'm Penny. Riveted by the the narrative and society around sex, and also the fact that if you think about it, even even amongst you know your friends you might talk about sex of everything you know about your friends you're probably likely to know the least about their sex life and Mm. it's and it's such a massive i don't know part of your life yeah Yeah. it's a very interesting one um dear dolly and pandora i love listening to your podcast on wednesday afternoons university um along with the hilo i'm obsessed with desert island discs us too dolly got me into that so my question is what would both of your desert island disc choices be Music, books, and luxuries. And what do you hope that Kirsty would say to you in her eulogy-like introduction? And would you like her to invite you separately, or like Anne and Deck as a pair? I can say, like, absolutely instantly, that Dolly would want to come on her own, and she would want that to be the longest episode that sure. Kirsty had ever, yeah. ever recorded. Well, I suppose they could easily do two episodes for me, couldn't they, Pandora? One for me, one for me, and you? What would yours be, Dolly? Um, I don't think we should say our music choices because we're going to jinx it, Panda, because you and I are going to make it into those <laughs> hallowed BBC okay, halls. Okay, well, name, maybe name one of your favourite songs and then a few other things that you love in life. One of my favourite songs would be um, Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones and then I would take a bed like Jarvis Cocker, I think, as my luxury item. I thought you'd take something like smelly. You love your sort of smelly bits. Yeah, maybe a bath and a, and a lovely bath a oil. Whole, That'd a be whole nice. bath. Yeah, they'd, you can be given a, a whole bath and a bath oil. Who did that? Who did she give that to recently? Emma Bridgewater. What would your luxury item be? Well, my song, if I was if I was going to choose a song, would obviously be um, <clears throat> "And we the She's done it to a strip. Um, I thought you were going to say signed, Sealed delivered there, your wedding song. No. um... <laughs> I do you know what I absolutely love? Love really hurts without you by Billy Ocean. I've always been oh, obsessed yeah. with. Da, 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 da. It makes me feel really, really happy, even though it's like a really sad song, I love which is that why song. my husband wouldn't let us have it as a wedding dance because it was all about love hurting. Book I would probably take. I've just find they it always stays with me actually. And I was going to bring it in for Dolly to read because I'm not sure she's read it, and I was too worried I wouldn't get it back. That's how much I love it. Called the opposite of loneliness, which is a book of I short love that stories. Book. By Marina Keegan. Um, it is particularly affecting, I find, because Marina was a Yale graduate who died age 22, two days after she graduated. She was very famous for her writing. At Yale, she was very well known for her writing and her slam poetry. So I love her short stories, but it is the story around them that kind of forever will linger in my mind. Um, other things I love. What would I want to take in? You're only allowed one luxury item. My cat. No, you're not allowed a cat. How do you know? Because I've listened to three what about if I turn... million episodes. Okay, what about if I turn her into a bath? <laughs> turn her into a bath? What does that mean? Then I can take her. Because can... <laughs> you said I'm allowed a bath. How? Oh, I don't even want to think how you turn your cat I don't into know, a ossify bar. Ossify her and cat bath shape her. Huh? Okay. Anyway, last right, question. last question is: uh, <laughs> Hi, Dolly and Pandora. I'm absolutely loving the High Low show. I like reading the compliment. I in know its, you always do, and I don't because in its new incarnation, I listen to every week without fail, and it makes me both laugh and think pretty hard about current issues. It's my favourite podcast by far. So Dolly. thank you very much for making it. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, uh, Skint Londoner. So. Her question is As two London dwelling ladies, I wonder if you have any advice on budgeting in the big and expensive city? Oh. I just brutal. moved to London but I'm not earning very much and a lot of my money is going on rent however my friends in the city are all earn more money than me and I want to enjoy going out and exploring my new home with them going to restaurants events, exhibitions etc etc thanks a very skint Londoner Oh I feel for you because obviously it's incredibly expensive living in a city particularly London Um, I would say particularly coming into the spring and summer we are really lucky in London there's a lot you can do with not very much money for starters you can nurse a Coca-Cola in a pub garden or in mm. a pub full stop Take four hours, you could mm-hmm. probably eat four hours out of it. Cannot do that in New York, let me tell you that for free. No, you can't. Um, a lot of um galleries are free, so the Saatchi Gallery, which is one of my favorites, it's got an exhibition on uh the selfie at the moment, that is free. Um, so it's worth checking out all those places that are free. You can go to Dolly's beloved Hampstead Heath, that's free. Walk in Hyde Park, all those kind of things are free. Um, so you know, if you want to go get cocktails in the city or you know, go out for dinner at a lovely restaurant, I don't know, you know, go to all those snazzy sushi places, And yes, we're going to be sending shitloads of money. But Dolly and I don't really do that unless someone else is picking up the bill. Yeah. So save the cocktails for once a month. But also that's the other thing that I always used to do when I was skinned is that I was, I always wanted to do luxurious things, but had no money. And there is a backdoor route. You can go to Claridge's and have one cocktail that costs £13 or £15 and make that last for three hours and eat you before. Can, exactly, you can go. I became to, the queen of eating before when I interned. Yeah, I used to do that. Or you can go to even if you want to treat. You know, even if you and your friend are celebrating a birthday or whatever, you can look up really fancy restaurants. Most Michelin style restaurants do a weekday lunch special that's like thirty quid. So you could go do that. You can go to Liberty and it's, you can look at all the lovely clothes and try them on, and just buy a lovely luxurious soap for four pounds. Also, cook your own food. I can't yeah, stress that enough. Tip. I waste money on you know not cooking my own lunches not eating at home you know you can make a chicken salad or pasta for i don't know three quid or if it's pasta probably one quid but also do you know what google because there will be so many amazing financial advice forums and bureaus people like you have just moved to the city there's that evening standard writer called lucy something who writes a lot about finances can you remember her surname I can't remember her surname. she's a really well known journalist I think she's about our age and she's written sort of four books um, but if you google you know budget saving tips London budget student young person anything around like that there is a wealth of information out there because I'm always really pleasantly surprised by the help that does actually exist in mm. stuff like that in helping you with your money and but- most people in London are skint as well you know other than the oligarchs most of us are skint so we're all just trying to get by but we do quite like a cocktail. But you know what? We're bloody thirty. It's taken long enough. Well, I am. Obviously, Dolly's not. I think it's weird. She shouldn't be allowed cocktails yet. She's too young. Thank you very much to Wise Buddha Studios for letting us hang out and record. Both of us are really hot. Do I look as hot as you look? You're so pink. Am I? I yes, feel really I know hot. it's quite hot in it. Quite hot in this. You know, it's because the aircon's not working today. We did get an email from the studio you got an email because you did <laughs> um, thank you wise Better, for letting me eat all your sweets I ate seven while here and as usual I'm going away feeling sick and sticky and thirsty um, who else do we need to thank Lauren Benstead for our sexy jingle for the funky tunes don't forget to tweet us at the high low show and you can email us the low show at gmail.com we will be back next week sadly we're not having another holiday <laughs> we'll see you next week thanks bye-bye. bye bye